Hi, everybody. Welcome to another version of the Bruce Singer podcast. I'm Bruce Singer, your host. And I just want to talk about the podcast. Uh, it's all about really, uh, f- we do a lot of work in food and in, in food tech and agriculture. And this particular podcast is really focused on health and wellness. We have a very exciting guest. We're going to get into that and some AI is going to be some pretty cool stuff. And uh, it's a great podcast. No selling here. It's all about valuable information that we're providing. And also, I'm Bruce. And I'm also the, the, the CEO and founder of Canada CFOs, Inc., which provides fractional CFOs and financial leadership, again, to the same space, the health and wellness and food and, and things like that and, and in that space. So we have a very, very interesting guest today. And I'm going to talk. And Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bruce. Great to be here. Great to have you. Okay. I'm going to talk about Dr. Cindy Gordon. Uh, Dr. Cindy Gordon is the CEO and founder of Sales Choice, and she'll tell you what that's all about. Uh, she's a, an author and well-published in 14 books. She's a Forbes contributor. Uh, she also teaches AI. We're going to talk a bit about that. Uh, recipient of numerous numerous awards and accomplishments. We couldn't put them all on her because there's a lot of them. So, uh, And Cindy was humble. <laughs> okay. Just know there's lots of awards. And... Uh, I suspect that if, if, in a nutshell, uh, we can we talk about Cindy as an AI innovator and, and change, a leading change maker. And it's just awesome. We're going to have a really very insightful conversation today. And again, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. And, yeah, thanks. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll jump right into it. Okay. So first, I want to know, can you share with the audience what exactly is in your business? What exactly is sales choice? Sure. Um, sales choice was a software as a service company. Uh, we have two AI software products in the market now. One does predictive forecasting on mid to large companies' data sets, mainly B2B, and we do predictive forecasting. So in other words, we say where you're going to end uh, in terms of whether you're going to achieve a win or a loss. And we're able to do that with a lot of different AI methods combined. The second uh, product is called Mood Insights, which is obviously what I think Bruce is most interested in That's in terms special. of mental health and wellness space. And that product was born out of covid uh, I read an, an amazing book called Permission to Feel. Uh, it was written by Dr. Mark Breckett at the um, uh, at Yale University, and he is a top expert in emotional intelligence. And I've always been following the emotional intelligence movement and the, the classifiers because we all know that people that have increased empathy are highly more collaborative. Uh, they're able to uh, guide people and coach people, and all those things I think are important. And we know that reflection and renewal is becoming one of the top criteria for CEOs and, and even you know good governance. So we built a software product that does a check-in on how you're feeling um, every single day. You know, when you go to the airport and you press a, a button, <laughs> whether it's uh, I'm happy or, or not too happy with your service. Well, it's that sign of kind of emoji experience, but there's a really deep AI layer under uh, when you provide your verbatims and you classify things. So. Um, you know, more on that later, but, uh, you know, I'm very curious in terms of can we make an impact on employees' um, well-being? And I think there's probably nothing more important than ensuring that our employees and our families, everybody wakes up in the morning really feeling that they're fit for for duty, right? Yes, yeah, physical. It's also mental, mental fitness, like you said. Emotive. So let's talk. So let's go. Let's take a step back for a minute. I'd love to hear your story because when we're when we're early on in life, like things evolve, you know, like, like, hey, there was an AI, like, but there was, you said there was in the 60s, but it doesn't come to light. So how did you, I'd like to hear part of your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Where did it start? And share, share some aspects. Um, 
Well, probably um, I started to get more technology centric when I was probably doing my master's degree. And I did a lot of work and uh, my master's was on information technology. And at that point I had learned to program. And, you know, that was really back when the Apple technology was just coming into place. And I remember coding pixel by pixel, uh, building software programs and, you know, very early days of object oriented programming, right? And, you know, I could see how much that, you know, this technology was really going to modernize business. And then I joined a company called Trigon Systems Group. Some of you may have heard of Don Tapp's got another well-published author. And in, in that role, we were consulting to large companies about how to build strategies where technology could be applied. So very much strategic planning. Um, that was in my early 20s. Um, and then... Uh, Long story short, I was a vice president at City Corps when I was 27 or something like that. So I had the whole client services team under me at the bank. And uh, so that was a fun time. So, you know, you're getting into the operational realities of bringing on board smart computers, right? At that time, you know, we had dumb terminals, right? And so you, I went through that whole evolution, right? And then, um, you know, obviously, I've always been connected to technology in every role. I always had a leadership role to bring in new innovations and technologies to help the business, whether I was reporting in at the business level, because I was an executive over at Xerox for about seven or eight years, right? Mm -hmm. Director, general manager, running a portfolio. And, you know, you always had to bring in new capabilities, um, you know, in those roles. And then a partner at Accenture. So obviously, you can't escape technology if you're at Accenture, right? So it just kept going, right? So I'm very comfortable in looking ahead and uh, did my doctoral studies, you know, over seven years, which obviously I was getting into complexity science then and social networking theory and kind of looking at how did knowledge flow in an organization as a result of using collaborative technologies. So that's when I wrote a lot of the books. I, I was the first to define collaboration commerce. Um, as well and yeah it's just i've always been playing right <laughs> so not a surprise when i, I uh, finished uh, my role at accenture I, I jumped into a venture capital role where i was a partner in a vc fund again um, i've always been curious and i could see the, the the speed in the early stage software markets and i really wanted to get in and appreciate the mechanics right and learn about the the legal side really because i hadn't had a lot of exposure to uh um, legal I had lots of exposure to financial statements right not that I was a CFO but certainly understood balance sheets and income statements and it just kind of kept rolling Bruce um, one thing led to the other and, and then after the venture capital role I said you know what I'm I'm going to go and start some things so I started one company called Helix did that for about eight years mainly consulting to large marquee fortune 500 companies on transformational change and innovation things like that and then um, decided to build a software company and, and here we are <laughs> you know you know the products are alive they're in some large uh, you know commercial enterprises you know uh, significant players and we're continuing to innovate now we're ramping up the commercialization journey and in 2024 um, it takes time to build these products Good. and it takes time to sell to b2b companies right these are large uh, organizations but we're not in the small business market so yeah i'm curious that's, that's, it's been one of those things, right? Being curious has always been the underpinning. 
and always staying ahead of where where is the next big technology wave, right? And I'm well read, right? So I'm always reading, always reading. Well, well, let's talk about two things you mentioned. I'm, I'm curious now, why the health and wellness? Because uh, you have two two things, but I'm curious about that because that's that's one of my passions. And why the health and why 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 the health and wellness area? What what what? How how did that come about? Well, um, you can see in companies, they have certain practices like HR typically owns health and wellness, right? And yeah. or comes under their purview and into their benefit stream. And you could see that they do three, 300, well, they do employee satisfaction surveys once a year, typically in, in most medium and also even small businesses, they'll touch base and they'll send out a questionnaire. It'll ask questions and then year over year, they're monitoring the results. Well, that's a, um, a lagging indicator. It's not leading. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it, it takes a long time. So by the time they diagnose they have a problem in a particular area, maybe they could have fixed it, you know, a lot earlier, you know, before yeah. they get their service. So I think we have a lot of outdated methods. Then they also use pulse surveys, which are periodic, where you can do a probe, you know, you can send out, you know, a specific set of questions relevant to a specific initiative. So if you're launching new software, you might do a probe on how it's gone and some questions. So it's kind of like a little mini survey. You know, you can do survey monkey or, or yep. whatever to yep. uh, pulse surveys. But it, and again, it doesn't offer a longitudinal uh, line. So I could see there's a gap in the market and I could see that companies like Calm, um, you know, are more focused on the business to consumer side and, you know, health and fitness apps, although they're starting to move into B2B offerings now. But bringing the data together, like what is the employee satisfaction score telling us? What is the pulse survey? And what does real time seven by 20 data yeah. tell us uh, that could predict futures, right? And and I know based on the work that we did uh, with um, with Purelater um, and that was helped funded by the Minister of Innovation in Ontario that we can actually see the risks in regulatory environments. We can see the the, the risks um, in terms of employee turnover, the health risks. Uh, employees, when they know they're in a secure environment, they will share a lot. And, and the data is anonymous. So people never know who said what. We never release it. So, um, But we analyze scientifically the patterns to predict risk or correlate to other data sets. Um, so yeah, so that's an interesting space uh, for us now. And so that's the interest there is, <clears throat> is one of passion. Um, but it's also a very big market. <laughs> Every industry yeah. could benefit from mood insights, right? Um, sales insights, you know, the sales enablement space, there's a lot of players um, in there. In this particular space, it's a very new approach to solving a problem that's very real and it's growing, right? We, it's we a growing problem, yeah. Insurance claims, uh, acceleration, the anxiety rates, the depression rates. Uh, so you start to really see, okay, you know, this isn't going away. I mean, uh, post-COVID hasn't, hasn't obviously COVID's left us, but there is a very lingering um, social impacts. And we're seeing it with resignations and this kind of, you know, and I, yeah. So it's another way to connect, I think, yeah. people working remotely as well, you know. I think so. Well, I see, I think that from what I've read or what I've learned is there's a huge number of population, not everybody, there's a large portion of people just on antidepressants. You know, I mean, I mean, 30 years ago, were people on antidepressants? Every everybody's every every second person I speak to is on. I'm I'm actually on an antidepressant. Okay, I, I'm transparent here, 
Uh, but and that's a whole other deep topic. You know, it's just uh, it's just good good for you. Okay, so let's talk. And let's talk because I'm curious. Talk about curiosity. Talk about to the future. So where are we going with this? Talk about your insights. I love to hear your your insights into where everything is going on, especially AI and in the future. And if you talk about health and well, talk about some of those things that uh, share, share your your in your knowledge. Yeah. Well, I think there's a a few dynamics happening. Uh, one, obviously, with generative AI that's gone mainstream, you know, with the launch of OpenAI and actually um, just a few weeks ago, it's celebrated its one year. Yep. And I think we've seen just an explosion of companies building chatbots. I mean, there were chatbots before, but not that the speed that we're seeing now, um, because we've got technology that's far easier to learn from because it's got access to large language models data, large data sets to learn from. So you can spin up these apps far more rapidly. Um, so there's that one aspect. So we're going to continue to see all the knowledge that we have. <clears throat> like in an enterprise, we work so hard on codifying it all into databases. And, um, you know, whether it was Microsoft SharePoint infrastructure or, you know, you know, open text document management infrastructures, well, what's going to happen now is <clears throat> that all of that data is going to get scanned into generative AI models and people are just going to ask questions, whether it's orally or through a text, and they're just going to say, find me X or produce X. I need X or Y. And the AI agents will go and create those experience. So that's what's coming our way. It's, uh, we're going to see a huge disruption in, um, in productivity um, in, in, I think, a good way. There will be a lot of erosion uh, in specific jobs, um, you know, as well. So people have to plan for that, right? We, we are going to see significant job losses in um, with lawyers, uh, with accountants, uh, a lot of the professional services, roles like poets. You know, I can say, you know, bring me Wordsworth and, and uh, you know, identify a few other notary poets and create a poem that, you know, human create but an ai agent created so there's that dynamic going on but we also are moving into a regulatory environment with ai um, and because the laws will be coming into effect probably in 2025 the eu uh, the european union um, act uh, is they passed uh, you know the construct and now it's going into the final reviews um, but I suspect it'll be 2025 when that's um, in place. In Canada, we have something called the ADA Act, the Artificial Intelligence Data Act. Obviously, we've got strong privacy governance, um, getting our teeth into uh, what's considered a high-impact AI uh, risk model is really going to impact uh, the healthcare industry because healthcare applications would be considered high-risk. Um, you know, if you're diagnosing something and it's wrong, or if you have a surgical robot performing, you know, some treatment and it's miscalculated the precision of where the treatment is being given, um, and or if you're a bank and you're, you know, generating um, AI uh, sort of approvals on a, on a mortgage for a loan, uh, et cetera. So these would all be considered high impact applications, oh. and they're going to come under increased scrutiny, where the AI models will have to go through a third party audit. 
So that's going to really add in another regulatory crunch, if I can use that term, to the existing market. So it'll slow down the innovators, um, you know, and the larger companies. The sales cycles will get longer uh, because if you're selling a particular product, and you're going to have to also have verifications on your AI methods um, that are that are probably going to become more certified. Um, there's definitely talk about the AI practitioners. Like you may have a uh, a master's in AI or even a PhD, but there may we may set up a, a certified regulatory body, just like we have done for CAs. You have to pass an exam. There's an wow, association. Wow! Right? Wow! So that's coming. That's coming. That's all coming, right? And it'll mainly be in the democratic countries. Um, we're not going to see the same kind of adherence, uh, you know, to uh, countries like uh, China, uh, Iran, for example. Definitely not Russia, Russia right? Um, even though the ethicists worldwide at all the top universities are very, very aligned on their understanding of ethical AI and what that what the practices should be, and we just they just have different governmental practices, right? And and different. Uh, uh, political belief systems, right? So, um, yeah. So that's it's. We're going to go into a very interesting period of, uh, you know, we've the, the market's matured. Um, there's an increased appetite to understand. Um, boards of directors are busy getting educated on what questions mm -hmm. they should be asking. Um, you know, the um, ICD, you know, governance structures, at least in Canada. Mm -hmm offering courses and universities have programs so it's kind of like this i think perfect world perfect storm you know um as well um at the same time we're going to have a lot more issues with cybersecurity because ai uh, is uh, very very good at uh, identifying weak spots and continuing to you know intrusively bombard um little spikes peeking into different entries see if they can find uh, entry points into an application that uh, could cause some havoc. So, you know, there's the aspect of the good actors, but then there's always the bad actors, right? Um, so it's, it's like I said, it's a perfect world, uh, but it also is a perfect storm brewing. And, uh, you know, the legal cases are going to be really significant because there's a lots of copyright issues in these data sets. A lot of vendors have just, you know, scraped the World Wide Web, you know, to train these large language models. And, um, you know, that's not good practice, right? So people will be challenged on the efficacy of their data sets. And so, I'm, you curious know, about, sorry. I'm curious about something. You said, uh, but let's get back to the health and wellness for a minute. You said something about, so I can be, I can, I can actually self-diagnose. Is that like, but how do you do like, you got to do blood work, you know, there's other, those will still stay like, like, well, I think you're going to see lots of different um, approaches. Um, there's one company um, called uh, uh, Virtual Care uh, that's here in Canada um, that are chiropractors that are um, online, you know, just diagnosing the symptoms. So again, rather than go into a, an office, you can self you can talk to a doctor or you can self-diagnose by answering a series of questions and then, you know, have a, AI could in fact prescribe, like, you know, I'm the healthy AI agent prescribing to you the best exercises or the best, you know, diet that would meet your symptoms. So you'd be filling out medical information because you know your symptoms, but AI chatbots can be very effective in guiding and diagnosing. So we're going to see lots and lots of uh, virtual care 
applications. Woo, I mean, lots in the market, even doctors, you know, specialists. Uh, Docus AI um, is aggregating doctors around the world that have specializations. And so you can go in and say, I, I, I think I, I have a spinal um, risk. And you can talk to a top spinal surgeon and you can spend, maybe you spend 200 bucks in a phone call for an hour, but you could book it right away. You're not waiting six months or a year to maybe get at least uh, some guidance, right? And then obviously, you know, these people can uh, provide some kind of verification that maybe helps you get into the system, right? You know, I've got this from XYZ doctor, you know, in the US, uh, you get up a report printed out and, and that maybe helps you break through some of the healthcare systems that are, you know, pretty inefficient. So I like to see a lot done to what I call preventative medicine because mm -hmm. I find the, the Canadian system, and this is no criticism of doctors. That's where they train. It, it's my perception. It's very reactive. They treat symptoms, but what about the, what about the, the, um, you know, the preventative medicine, like what to eat and all these things before it's too late to get all the like type two diabetes, you know, that's, that's that needs to start. And that hopefully that needs to start with uh, more parental education, right? Because yeah. You know, the little the little ones need to have balanced, healthy diets, and they do, you, know, yeah. so, you know we need to get downstream more before your point. The systems manifest, and that has to come to me from you know being a good parent, being well read, yeah. you know as well um, is is a major difference um, because once it's already manifested itself, it's it's hard to course correct, right? It correct, correct. Take time. Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I can talk to you. We're coming to an end of the podcast. I can talk to you for hours about this stuff. Actually, I hate to, it's kind of, it's exciting, but it's also a bit scary to me. <laughs> it's, I mean, think about it's It's just out of my comfort zone. You know, you think about like. Well, well like, Bruce, wait till the, wait till the cobots hit you. Right. So we've only uh, talked about some of the dynamics, right. But we're going to move into a period where there's more and more social bots because we don't have the medical health infrastructure to support the aging population right we don't know. and uh, so already japan has done a great job in introducing social bots uh, into both healthcare facilities so if somebody needs um, a diaper change well a robot can do that yeah like a cobot can do that if someone needs a meal a social bot can bring you your meal uh, a social cobot can dispense your medicine, right? Accurate. That's right. Especially for elderly people, if they if they have difficulty. I mean, my mom she she was on 30, 40 pills a day. She couldn't even. And sometimes she would she would she would take it twice. She couldn't. It was overwhelming for her. You yeah. Know? So we'll be able to buy in our lifetime social bots in her home for different reasons. I mean, there's manufacturers. Uh, in Germany that I was just recently reviewing that are manufacturing the uh, the bot that uh, when you come in from the car, it automatically turns the lights on the house. Maybe it starts the stereo music for you because it likes your favorite channel. It dispenses a nice glass of wine um, and it greets you at the door, right? So, I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of creativity uh -huh. with intelligent homes and, uh, you know, I grew up watching the Jetsons, which I loved. And, and you know, the only thing I might not see is being able to have my own little car zip up into the sky. But the reality is... Maybe, well, maybe, well. Who knows, who knows? I don't think that, no, I, I definitely will have, um, you know, be able to 
drive a you know a driver driverless car there's no question there but i won't be able to fly because there's far too many you know complexities and we don't have the the highways in the sky for travelers yeah. um, but it, it will happen in time it's just a matter of time you know i'd love to have another discussion we don't have time today but ai specifically in food i'm thinking of food application you know, like if you look at alternative protein and all the, like they can make protein out of, so I've heard a story, they can make it out of air or water and they can actually make food. I mean, it's almost like Star Trek, you know, when the replicators, you know, the food, like in Star yeah. Trek, the food replicator. AI, AI um, yeah, it agents be, are making yeah. up recipes and yeah. pre, pre-thinking yeah. Uh, the recipes and, oh, oh. and uh, you know, guiding um, all kinds of business models, right? Again, these... Um, capabilities are only as good as the quality of the data so you yep. know again we you know it, 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 let's not suffer fools gladly here a lot of the issues we have in building an ai model that can be trusted and responsible is because 80 percent of the work or i can call that data wrangling effort well, uh, you know out of a program is very complicated especially if you really genuinely care about a representative data set and then you don't want to bring in data bias and, you know, it's a very serious skill is uh, the data yes, ethics. Yeah. And uh, you're going to see more and more um, experts in with data science ethicist backgrounds uh, yeah. to validate the models. Um, the, you know, the laws will come in. You know, the auditors will be very happy with third-party audits, right? They oh, yeah. will be a very serious uh, endeavor. Oh, yeah. You know, Cindy, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're ending the podcast. Just one thing I want to ask you before we go. Is there anything we didn't discuss that's something that you want, any last minute words you wanted to share? Something perhaps we didn't discuss that you just might want to, you thought sure. it would be important to share with well, you. I, I think um, I'm going to answer the question from uh, maybe most people maybe listening might relate if they're a parent or they have a family member. <laughs> and if you're not knowledgeable about AI, just just uh, start, start reading. Um, this is the one technology that's, going to be more significant than the cell phone, right? Like wow. This is going to be transformative under everything. And it's it we need to all get involved and to understand and, and not be afraid. It's not going away. Um, it's accelerating. And I think it's very important that we all educate ourselves and, and one another. And if I can do it, anybody can. It would be my closing comment. I, I keep saying manana. I'll get the chat. I mean, obviously, the simple one is chat GPT. I'll, yeah, I'll learn it. I'll learn it tomorrow. <laughs> I have to download it, Bruce. It's it's really quite clever, you know. I know. I get it. I get it. I get. It. I'll get there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right. That, that's pretty well it. Other than have a wonderful, happy holiday. It's that festive. Same season. to you. Same to you. This has been awesome, and I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And we'll get Thanks. you next time on the show. And have a great day, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks, Bruce.